everyone, and welcome to Concast. I'm Caitlin Barnard, and in this series, we chat with software developers and technology leaders to tackle your biggest connectivity challenges. I am super excited today to welcome Chris Parlett, Senior Solutions Architect at TriggerMesh. Um, so Chris is going to be talking to us today about event-driven architecture. Thanks, Caitlin. I'm excited to be on the Concast. Um, so one of the things we really like to start with is, you know, kind of getting a little bit of a sense for your background, how you ended up in this specific technical space. So, um, you know, what's kind of your background um, on where you've come from and how you got to Trigger Mesh? Yeah, so I uh, I went to school at University of Maryland. Um, it seems now like a long time ago, uh, doing uh, you know, computer programming, um, computer science. And so when I started working, I, I found out that I really liked the startup culture. Uh, so I joined a small company. Um, and it was a, a open source monitoring tool. And uh, that was kind of my first job. That's actually where, uh, not to jump ahead, but that's actually where I met our current CEO, the CEO of TriggerMesh, Mark. Uh, we actually met and worked together at uh, at that first company that I worked at uh, called Xenos. And so I went to a couple of different uh, software startups. Uh, you know, So I've been doing things like, um, I was doing professional services work. So doing custom development, mostly Python. Um, and then I kind of got more into the pre-sales roles, kind of doing a sales engineer kind of thing. And now, um, you know, as is with most startups, uh, uh, the role is is a lot of different things, right? So I, I do sales engineering. Um, the engineers think I'm a sales guy. The sales guys think I'm an engineer. Uh, but, you know, I also help with marketing. I write blog posts, do videos. So, you know, anything that I can help with, you know, I'm happy to help with. But um, so, so that's kind of where, how I've been going along my path. And then I got into cloud. I was doing a lot of stuff with um, cloud cost management um, and kind of development around that. And and then I really started getting more into this Kubernetes space. And so that was where, again, you know, I, I have known a couple of the people who work at TriggerMesh from before, and I've been keeping an eye on TriggerMesh. And it was something that was very interesting to me, um, just kind of what they were doing in the Kubernetes space and, you know, the cloud native space and serverless. So uh, I was kind of already interested in that. And then, uh, you know, they had an opening and, and I jumped on it because I, I just think this is really cool uh, leading edge technology. I love it. Yeah, um, we it, it's been kind of a serendipitous, I think, relationship because um, I feel like Mark knows everyone and there's a lot of overlap with the Trigger Mesh team. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I think I think Mark said he knows at least at least a couple of people at Kong from from a long time ago. Mark seems to know everybody, so it's yeah. great. Uh, and then uh, our the other co-founder Sebastian, um, he lives over in Switzerland, and and I think he kind of knows everyone in the in that Kubernetes uh, space. He he wrote one of the original uh, serverless on Kubernetes tools, and so yeah, it's just yeah. I think he kind of knows everybody in that space too. And I think Kong and and Trigger are kind of. Uh, you know, adjacent in a lot of ways uh, in those kind of spaces. Yeah. And it's been this really fun. Um, I, I don't know. I've enjoyed it. You know, my background in the past is in the Kubernetes and CNCF space as well. And I've just really enjoyed kind of this overlap within the community because there have been all these amazing um, just overlaps with technologies and integrations and stuff like that. So um, I'm kind of excited to dive into that today because I feel like this is a trend we're seeing across the board. Excellent. Yeah, I, I agree. It is it is interesting, like the idea of APIs, you know, Kubernetes, you know, a lot of people who are into into some of that, again, cutting edge technology, you know, they, they tend to kind of touch on a couple different pieces. And it seems like there's, again, there's a lot of overlap in a lot of those tools. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like I said, what we're talking about today is this, um, you know, event driven architecture overall. And I'd really like to start at the beginning, just kind of with the basics of 
Uh, can you define for the audience, what does event-driven really mean? And, um, you know, kind of how does this per- compare to the previous ways of, of really doing things? Yeah, so event-driven architecture, it's its definitely become more popular. I think, you know, for a while there, there was this idea of like monolith versus microservices. And, and that's kind of been a, a thing, uh, sort of a design principle. And I think it's almost like a, an evolution of microservices because it's kind of like the next step of that, which is this event-driven architecture. So I think with microservices, one of the, and, and people might debate me on this, but I think one of the limitations is typically with microservices, you are developing or your organization is developing all of the microservices. But sometimes you don't really work in that isolation, right? I mean, if you work in any company, we're a startup and we have connections to Salesforce and to, uh, you know, different cloud providers and some on-prem stuff and uh, Slack and and Google Docs. And it's just like, you have stuff everywhere. So this idea of microservices is like, oh, I'm going to control each individual service. And it's like, sometimes there's just services that you don't control. So in my mind, at least, a lot of times the event-driven architecture piece comes in of, okay, you have to integrate with tools that you don't own, uh, but you also have to integrate with tools that you do own. So some of your custom stuff, and then, you know, integrated with all these different things, uh, it exists everywhere. You're connecting to everything. Uh, you're trying to speak the same language across all these different things. And it's like, sometimes that's hard to do. So I think where you kind of get into some of these event-driven architectures or, you know, kind of that event-driven infrastructure or any of these kind of platforms, if you want to call them that, um, the idea really is just like trying to make it easy to connect to all this stuff. Right. And, And I think by making it easier than what we aim to do at least. And I think what a lot of people aim to do with event-driven architecture is let their developers just develop like, okay, you're building the business logic and trying to do cool stuff that makes our business run better. You know, you don't have to worry about what is the API for making a Slack call or, you know, how do you pull data in from our Salesforce CRM? It's like, you don't want them worrying about that. So instead what we do is we kind of put some of that plumbing in place so that you can just, say, okay, you're a developer, here's an API, or you know what, accept this event, here's the defined event, you know, uh, attributes and and data, and then you can do something with it, right? You can do whatever it is you need to do with it, but it's like, we're defining it, uh, we're defining the API that you need to send it to, and they can just go and do what they need to do. So to me, that's kind of where a venture of an architecture comes in, again, as, as more of an evolution of that you know, the idea of microservices or, or kind of splitting things out. It's like, yeah, you split things out, but now you need to, them to communicate better. And that's sometimes hard to do. So that's kind of what we're trying to solve. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I feel like that's a really nice segue into, you know, my next question here is event-driven architecture isn't necessarily new, but I feel like it's picking up a lot um, just recently. We're hearing more and more about it. Um, you know, what is driving that? Yeah, I think, um, again, you know, as these organizations, you know, anytime you look at the IT sprawl of an organization, um, especially, you know, companies that have been around for a long time, it's just, you just have stuff everywhere. You have old stuff, you have new stuff. You're trying to stay on top of modern technologies, but you can't just rip everything out and go to, (laughs) go to, let's jump on AWS and just leave everything behind. It's like, sometimes that just doesn't work, right? So, uh, you know, as someone who works in cloud, I'd love for it to work, but it's just not the word, the way the world works. So, you know, kind of, uh, you know, bridging some of that, you know, the old and the new, the legacy and the modern, if you want to call it that, um, you know, taking all of the application and business logic that you've already written and instead of just tearing it out, like trying to use what you have and bring it modern, 
Um, Because you do want to get the benefits of some of the modern tooling, right? You want to get the benefits of Kubernetes. You want to get the benefits of cloud native. You want to get the benefits of all of that, but you want to, again, take some of that old stuff and, and kind of pull it up to the modern. So I think, like you said, you know, event driven has, events have been around forever. Um, you know, we work with literally mainframes and we'll kind of talk about this later, but we work with mainframe technology. Well, that's spitting out events too, right? It has message queues. It's just that sometimes the things that come out of that, you, you don't know what to do with it, right? Cause it's just some, you know, legacy format and you're just like, how do I even connect to this thing? So by bringing that to the modern technology, then it's like, okay, you still have the mainframe stuff doing what it is it does, but you're able to work with it in JSON on a AWS SQSQ or something like that. So, you know, by, by kind of bringing that technology together, it helps you move to the modern stuff while not, you know, just completely ditching all the stuff that you've done. Right. And I, I think, we, you know, we saw this a lot with Kubernetes, right? When Kubernetes started picking up um, in the market, everybody wanted to move. Um, and it's right. not just something you, you can do overnight, right? Like that's a huge undertaking. So there's so much value in that kind of gradual modernization um, and being able to kind of bridge that gap between the old and the new. Yeah. And I think, I think you saw that a lot too with the, this whole idea of like lift and shift, you know, I think has been around also when you're coming, moving to cloud and that happened also when you're moving to Kubernetes, a lot of people, they just said, Oh, I'll take my server and make a container out of it and run it on Kubernetes. It's like, yeah, you can like, but is that really what you want to do? Or do you want to kind of leave it, leave the thing alone? And, you know, as you're evolving or building new stuff, you build it onto that. And that's why, you know, Kubernetes has been around for a while, but I think now it's finally become sort of a, I'll call it a standard, like a, a kind of like the de facto choice and not for everybody, but you know, it's the kind of thing where it's no longer a gigantic ask to say, let's move everything to Kubernetes. It's like, eh, as time has gone on, you've kind of evolved and kind of moved on to uh, kind of well, natively. And I love that point that you kind of touched on where, um, you know, I talk a lot about this idea of kind of future proofing, right? Like moving to the next new technology doesn't necessarily mean it's the right um, the right move for your specific business and what you are trying to specifically achieve. Um, there's always going to be something new, right? Um, so doing that really intentionally and in a way that makes sense for your business and having that flexibility um, is really, really important. Yeah. And, I, I, and so I love what you just said there about flexibility, because that is one of the other benefits of kind of an event-driven architecture is you're not just grabbing everything and ripping it out and moving to something new. Instead, the event-driven aspect of it is like, okay, you're spitting out events uh, and it's going to some target, right? And let's say you want to change the target because something new came out. You can now, you know, split the event off and say, all right, I'm going to keep my current flow, but I'm also going to kind of split off and, and start sending things to the new thing. And so we could test it out. And then when we're ready, we'll kind of shut off the old one and, and kind of do a seamless transition, right? So that's one way of doing things. And, you know, we've talked to customers who are like, uh, yeah, we're on AWS now. I don't know where we'll be in three years, right? I, so I don't, want to, uh, I don't want to feel like I'm locked in, but I want to get the benefits out of AWS. And it's like, great, let's do that. But with the event-driven nature of it, you can then say, you know what? If in the future you start spinning us some Google Cloud or some Azure or whatever it might be, or some cloud we don't even know of, you know, someone might spin up in the next three years. Who knows? And it's like now we you have that flexibility to say, I want to change my target. I want to change my source. I want to, you know, without just like ripping everything out, you can just kind of start, you know, tweaking things. And I think that's a much smoother transition to 
you know, modern technology of today, but then also technologies that we don't even know exist yet, right? There's going to be a next evolution and you want to be kind of prepared for moving to that without, you know, ditching what you have. Yeah. Kind of having that foundation in place to like move quickly, but kind of incrementally uh, benefit from those improvements. Exactly. Yeah. The incremental, I, I think that's, I think, more and more people are coming around to that as an, instead of just, uh, you know, I'm going to take everything I got and move it all at once, you know? So I think that that definitely helps. Um, and you know, I'm curious now is, is it kind of something then, you know, everyone can benefit from, or, you know, how do you know if you're ready for an, if an event-based system is really the right protocol for you and your business? Yeah, I would say in in a way, a lot of people are probably doing some event-based stuff and they don't may not even realize it, right? So again, uh, you know, if you are reading from an API and then uh, sending an object to an S3 bucket, you're doing event-driven, right? That In a way, you're doing event-driven. So, um, you know, the event may be different for each different thing you're doing. And I think that's where, you know, we at TriggerMesh, we're trying to help people get to the point of, you know, standardizing those events. Uh, you know, we use the cloud event specification from CNCF. So it's like standardizing the events that makes it so everything's talking the same language. Uh, you know, being able to, uh, you know, f- uh, change sources, change targets, uh, plug into things, have, you know, chain these bridges together. You know, you're, again, you're probably doing some of that already in a weird way. And, and maybe you don't even think of it like you're doing a venture of an architecture, but you're probably doing pieces of it. And so by kind of, getting all of that into one kind of known state uh, and then again, using the technologies available to you. So Kubernetes auto scaling, things like that serverless being scaled on zero and not wasting resources. So it's like, there's a lot of these benefits that you want to get. Um, and so I think that's kind of where we're going with it is taking, yeah, you know, some of those ideas, you know, uh, from taking a source and then sending it to a target. That's not a new thing, but you know, doing it in a standardized way, I think helps. So back to your question about, you know, is this the right protocol for the job? You're probably already doing jobs that have that protocol, right? You're probably already doing that kind of mechanism. Um, So really the thing that I like to do is just kind of, if you take a step back, it's like, okay, when you think about multi-cloud, are you just thinking about AWS and Azure? Or are you also thinking about all the SaaS applications that you use, uh, all the different storage locations, people's laptops, you know, like where are you putting stuff? Where are you getting stuff from? What are your custom applications doing? Where are they sending it to? Are they sending it anywhere? You know, are you storing your logs in Splunk? That's a, you know, a cloud, if you will. Uh, so it's like, you know, those those kinds of ideas, um, you know, I think they all kind of tangentially relate to event-driven. So if you can kind of get your hands around all of that, I think it just makes your life easier if you do that. Yeah, it almost sounds kind of like, um, like almost, I don't know if this is the right word, like a cultural or like mindset shift, right? It's like the way of thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. Just like the, just the, the principle of event driven, like I said, it's, it's like, you're probably already kind of doing it. Um, and so if you can make that, you know, more of a standardized thing, then the next time you go to do something that's event driven, you'll one, you'll recognize it and two, you'll have the tools in hand to do it. And three, you know, if, if someone else comes to you and says, ah, I got this problem, you can, you know, start thinking of it like, okay, I'm, I got a source, I got a target, I'm doing some kind of transformation in the middle. I can do that. And I, I have those pieces in place. And, and now, you know, that's why we, we try not to be like, oh, this is the way you have to do it, but more of we're providing ways for you to figure out how to do it. And I think that's better for you long-term because you, you're every, every time we go into a customer, everything's unique, right? Because that just how is how it is. 
Uh, but you, so, you know, being able to adapt to it and keep that mindset shift, like you said, is yeah. I think really important. We talk a lot about this internally, but I, I've also noticed this in some of the other um, episodes of Concast that I've done is like, it's about giving people the building blocks more. And I'm seeing that kind of consistent trend in the technologies that are taking off, like not um, prescribing your way of doing things, giving them the tools to help optimize what they need to do. Yeah. And it's a little scary too. Cause like sometimes you come across a tool and you're like, it's like, we can do anything. It's like, yeah, but that doesn't help me. And that's where we, you know, we try to have like examples of things like, okay, well, here's something that, you know, we have had someone do. And so, you know, again, you know, going from old to new, we literally have been working with someone who's working with IBM MQ, which is on a main, you know, a mainframe is spitting out these, these fixed width format things. And they need to run COBOL copybook uh, files, which I, I had to look up what it is because it's older than I am. You know, it's, it's the 60 year old technology, but it's still being used at these banks because they're like, oh, it works. I mean, it, it does what it needs to do, but none of the developers know how to work with it. So it's like what they needed was, okay, we got this source, we're transforming it using a copybook, and then we're going to spit it out as, again, as like a JSON format into a queue that our developers can read from. And it's like, as long as you can get it on that queue in a JSON, they can read it and they can they can figure it out from there. And so it's like, those are the kind of examples where it's like, yeah, we can do that. And then when you say that, then they're like, oh yeah, but I also have this other thing. It's not copybook, but it's something else. Got it. Now I, now I, I understand what you're doing and I can now adapt it to what I'm doing. Yeah. I, I think that's such a, a beautiful illustration of, I think, you know, the benefits of modernization, right? And like, optimizing for developer experience, but not ripping out those things that are still working in your system just because there's like this new technology that's come along. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a, there's an old, uh, article by, uh, Joel Spolsky, I think his name is, um, who made stack overflow and a couple of things. And, and he was like, you know, basically rewriting software. Like you never want to just fly. Everyone wants to rewrite software, but it's like, you shouldn't. Cause that's what kills you know? Cause then right. you're like not innovating, right. You're not doing anything new. So if you, the stuff works, like it works and there's reasons why it has all the stuff in it, but it's like, you also need to, you know, again, adapt to what, what people need to do with it. So by making exactly. it modern, but if you can make it modern easily and without, you know, getting rid of the old, then, you know, you're, you're going to win. So exactly, exactly. Um, so, I, you know, I'm sure you're seeing more and more of these things on a daily basis. You know, you're, you're in the weeds on this stuff, but what are kind of the most common use cases you're seeing here? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I just mentioned one about modernizing off of kind of old legacy, we call it, which some people get offended by that. If you work for a legacy vendor, you get offended by that. Um, you know, so so kind of modernizing that and you know, helping people get to cloud native. The other thing, uh, one of the ones that's really been resonating is we've been working with this um, open source. Um, it's called a CSNF. So it's Cloud Security uh, Notification Framework. So it's this framework for basically taking all these security notifications from all these different cloud providers and trying to do something with it because it's like, okay, Azure has these you know notifications that happen, but they look different than Oracle CloudGuard, and it looks different than the AWS version. So what they did is they took TriggerMesh, they kind of put it in the middle and said, okay, we got all these sources, which is all these different cloud providers, and we're standardizing the event. So we get all these events coming into TriggerMesh. TriggerMesh takes them, standardizes the events. Uh, adds a few attributes that are specific to this kind of framework, uh, you know, I, the the specification that they have. And then now we have a standardized event from all these different sources, and now we can do something with it, right? So now we can take that event, 
we can put it into uh, Microsoft. Uh, I think it's called Guard Duty, um, uh, or maybe that's the Amazon one. Anyway, they all. <laughs> it's the fun part of keeping up with cloud is you have all these names of all these different services. Yep. <laughs> and so uh, you know, so you can send these to all these things. You can also send it to Splunk. You can send it to Slack and notify your security team. So that event standardization is a big thing. Again, if you're working in the multi-cloud world, uh, if you just have all these different sources of things, you, sometimes you just need to kind of like funnel them all down into one thing. And now it's like, okay, now I know what to do with it. Um, so that's, it, you know, been resonating a lot with people who have to deal with those kinds of things. Uh, they, they like that standardized event format. It's like one thing I know what to do. Um, you know, so, so those kind of, uh, events. And then the other thing that we found is, uh, you know, we've got some people coming from the MuleSoft world where you write these, uh, they call it data weave, which is like a scripting language. And it's like, yeah, our developers kind of developed this data weave. We don't want to throw it out, but we, you know, we kind of want to run it. And it's like, okay, well, we can take the data weave script or we can take your Python script or we can take your existing JavaScript or whatever language you, your developers work in, Spring Boot, whatever it is. And it's like, okay, that's doing like the business logic and the data transformation. We can drop that into Trigger Mesh. And now we deal with the sources, we deal with the targets, and then you wrote the transformation and, and you know, we can use what you have. So again, it's like meeting developers kind of in the middle of, you know, you've already done the work. We can help you with the plumbing and kind of marry the two together. Yeah. And I, I like that, you know, we talked about <clears throat> sometimes with those building blocks that there's like a little ambiguity with all the things you can do. But um, it sounds like, you know, with you seeing that all day to day, it's nice to have like a partner that can help with some of those best practices. Like here is what you can do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Here's what you can do. Here's what some of our other customers have done. You know, we've seen this work well. We saw this not work so well. I mean, you can still yeah. do it, but you know, maybe that's not the best choice. And sometimes just getting that push in the right direction is, again, we're not trying to tell people what to do, but we try to just kind of help them, you know, figure out what's best for them. And and yeah. and that's where I get excited by, you know, someone saying, okay, we, we got to figure it out now. We got to plugged in, you know, we're doing it this you know, I'm not a Java developer, but hey, we wrote it in Spring Boot. It's like, cool, that works for you. Great. That, you know, we, we can yeah. work with that. So, absolutely. Um, and so, you know, obviously, we're, we're going to dive into seeing some of this in action today um, within Trigger Mesh itself. But uh, can you give us just kind of a quick overview of what exactly Trigger Mesh is um, to set, set the stage there? Yeah. So, Trigger Mesh is um, so if you're familiar with Knative, which is a, uh, it's basically serverless on Kubernetes. We're an extension beyond that. So we use Knative under the hood plus more extensions beyond what that is. Um, and so basically what we're trying to do is we're, we run uh, as microservices on Kubernetes. So I mentioned microservices earlier. We run as multiple different containers on Kubernetes, uh, but we're basically providing a, a kind of a serverless function capability for you on-prem, if that makes sense. So we say on-prem really just on your own cluster. Um, so what ends up happening is, again, you get all the benefits of Kubernetes, which is we scale up as many times as you need. So if you have millions of events coming in, we scale up as much as we need to. We're also scaling everything down to zero when it's not being used. So if you have things that aren't being used, it just doesn't take up resources. So we handle all that for you. Um, and you know, I've kind of talked a little bit about kind of event sources, event targets, and transformations. That's really the basics of what Trigger Mesh is. We build these bridges is what we call them, or, or event flows, whatever you want to call them. And so basically you define a source, you define stuff that happens in the middle, uh, and then you define a target. And that stuff that happens in the middle can be transforming the data, it can be running these functions, it can be splitting or routing events based on you know attributes that come in. 
And so really that's, that's kind of what we're doing, but you can have multiple sources, you can have multiple targets, or you can have kind of uh, more flat flows. Uh, but by building these out, again, you're, you're be able to define these, you define these in code. So it's, um, if you've heard of like uh, infrastructure as code, it's sort of like integrations as code, right? So it's, you're defining these integrations, they're all codified. And so you can put them as a part of your CSCD pipeline, you know, uh, store them in GitHub or wherever your, you know, Bitbucket, whatever it is. And so now you have these defined flows, you can update, uh, you can provide these APIs to developers uh, and they know exactly what they do. Um, they can describe them and figure out, you know, what's the, uh, here's the input, here's what the output's going to be. So, and I know that's a lot, but, you know, and it's a complicated tool, but we tr the simple way of thinking about it is, okay, you have stuff over, you know, as a source, we're going to send it through this filter and then we're going to spit it out on the other side. And so that's how we, we kind of help again with that plumbing uh, of getting those events from the source to the target. Yeah. And, you know, that'll, that'll be the benefit of seeing it in action. But, um, you know, as we're diving into kind of this use case of it, you know, you're, you're going to be showing it with, with Kong Gateway. Um, what in that uh, context, what's the benefit of Trigger Mesh plus something like an API gateway together? Yeah. So, so one of the nice things that we did with Kong, you know, we found that, um, so we actually wrote a Kong plugin. It's an open source and we'll, we'll have the link somewhere. Uh, and so, it's a, I mentioned this idea of cloud events. And so we take this cloud event specification, which is based, and I'll show you what a cloud event looks like as we get into the demo, but it's basically, you know, you have a payload and you have some attributes and it's sort of a defined uh, object. And so these cloud events, um, you know, we, we created a plugin so that Kong, the Kong API gateway will spit out cloud events. So you, now you can have the Kong API gateway as the source and then trigger mesh kind of does the rest, right? So so now your developers are are sending events, uh, just curl requests if you want uh, to Kong. That's what I'll be showing in the demo, but it can be more complicated than that. But it's like, you know, and I'm sending it to Kong. Kong takes that request, creates the cloud event, puts it into Trigger Mesh. Trigger Mesh does any kind of transformation, routing, splitting, whatever, and then puts it on the target. And the target could be sending it back to Kong, right? To say, hey, here's a reply to your API request. Or it could say, put it at an S3 bucket or put it on a queue or you know, whatever it might be. So that's, we found that, you know, it's kind of, you're getting the best of both worlds. You're getting the best of Kong, you know, as kind of the front and uh, trigger mesh is the back, which is, uh, I guess that's a simplified way of putting it, but it's like, you know, we found that, you know, when we show this to people who, you know, they're like, oh yeah, we love Kong. Kong is the gateway. Perfect. Trigger mesh is doing the transformation. Perfect. Like this, this works really well together. Yeah. So uh, we, we found some, 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 anytime we show this to people who are even, you know, passingly familiar with it, they're like, oh yeah, this is, this is perfect. This is exactly what we want. We, we love Kong and, and now we're, we're getting this data transformation with Trigger Mesh. That's awesome. Yeah. It kind of clicks. Um, but Chris, any other kind of final thoughts to leave the audience with today? Yeah, the only thing I think I forgot to mention is that <laughs> Trigger Mesh is fully open source. So uh, one of the big, we're big believers in open source technology. Uh, you know, we love contributing back. Uh, we contribute back to the Knative project. Um, we have these open source tools. And so if you go to github.com slash Trigger Mesh, which is our, uh, our organization name, and then Trigger Mesh slash Trigger Mesh is our actual code. Like you can go and download it and run it. Uh, it's open source, open issues. Uh, talk to us. We also wrote that uh, Kong plugin that we open source because we're like, Hey, we love Kong. Let's open source this cloud events plugin. So now you can run that as well. 
Uh, and, you know, we, we wrote some blogs around how to use these. Um, we have a Slack channel where you can come talk to our developers in our community and, and work with them. But we're big believers in open source. Uh, we're big believers in, you know, contributing back. Uh, and so, you know, feel free to check it out. Um, you know, obviously you can find me and, and if you have any questions, I'd be happy to help. But um, yeah, it's just one of those things where we're, we're, we're definitely excited to, uh, to give this to the community. I love it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time um, to speak with me today, Chris. Uh, This has been fantastic. Um, And thank you to everybody who has tuned in to join us today. Uh, We'll see y'all next time. Thanks. Thanks to everyone out there for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as we enjoyed recording it. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast using your favorite application so you don't miss a new episode. Don't forget to drop us a comment if you have any questions for today's guests or if there's a topic you'd like to see us cover in the future. For more content from today's guest, you can join us on YouTube to see demo segment from this episode of Concast. We'll see you next time.